Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Alison Evans. Alison is the award-winning author of Ida and Highway Bodies. They have featured on the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast last year with their zombie apocalypse tale, Highway Bodies, and today Alison is joining me to discuss their latest novel, Euphoria Kids. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. We record on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ongoing connection to the land. Their stories are the original stories, and I want to pay my respects. Final Draft explores the best of Australia's books, writing, and literary culture as featured on 2SER. Now, the Great Conversations podcast is your chance to hear the full interview. Get those bits of the conversation that don't always make it to air and dive deeper into the books that you love. Euphoria Kids is the story of Iris and Babs. They go to the same school, but don't really know each other. Ever since a witch cursed her as a child, Babs periodically becomes invisible. It makes it hard to find friends, until one day Iris sees her on the bus. Iris grew from a seed in the garden and has always had more kinship with the fairies and dryads that live in the bush. Together, Iris and Babs find each other and something of their place in the world until rumblings amongst the Fae reveal that the witch who cursed Babs has returned to the forest. Join me as we discover Alison Evans' Euphoria Kids. Alison Evans is the award-winning author of Ida and Highway Bodies, and it has become a bit of a tradition that we start the year on Final Draft with a chat with Alison, and they are joining us today to discuss their latest book, Euphoria Kids. Welcome, Alison. It is so great to have you. Hey, thanks for having me back. <laughs> no, look, it's, it's wonderful, and I, I'm going to let people know that if, if they are a fan of Alison's work, well, you will know that they are a genre-bending wonder, from the dimension-hopping of Ida to the zombie horror of Highway Bodies. And today, we're discussing Euphoria Kids. It is a fantasy tale of friendship and love, quite unlike anything I've experienced. It, you never let me down with these fantastic tales. No, thank you. <laughs> so in Euphoria Kids, we have Iris and Babs. They go to the same school, but they don't know each other. I mean, nobody really notices Babs, not since a witch cursed her and she periodically becomes invisible. Iris has friends, but not the human kind. They grew from a seed in the garden and have always had more kinship with the fairies and dryads that live in the bush, until one day when Babs appears to Iris on the bus. Now, I'd love, Alison, if you could start by telling us a little bit about the blossoming friendship between Iris and Babs and how friendship and connection are so magical in your story. Yeah, uh, well, I guess they're both they're both very lonely, I think, and I I remember feeling lonely a lot as a teenager, <laughs> even though like I did have friends. Um, I think it can still be a bit isolating just to be at that age. Um, yeah, so they notice each other, and I guess they I don't know. They both just feel like they should be friends, and so they start. To kind of learn how to how to be in each other's company and stuff like that. I think um, for queer teens, um, romance is kind of uh, the the narrative that people foist upon them. But I just think friendship friendship is so important, and it was so important to me. And I just really wanted to write something that celebrates that. I mean, I guess. I guess the idea of the constrictions of binaries is something that we're, 
what's going to come up a lot in this conversation, but you've just pointed out one there, this, this binary between romance or friendship. And there are like, there's, there's only two ways to exist in relationship with someone. Um, were, were there any restrictions of that idea that you were, you were looking at as well? Yeah, I think um, a reviewer pointed this out um, that they, um, <clears throat> sorry, um, it's not quite a romance and it is a friendship, but it's kind of the important thing is not necessarily the form of the relationship, but like the fact that they are soulmates mm. and. I like I like that. Like it's not quite a romantic friendship, and it's not quite a a friendly romance or, or whatever. It's um, I feel like it does blend the two a little bit, which mm. was very it was very fun to write that. I really like that. I think we need those those blendings and ideas that relationships can be so many things. I mean, even if I think about myself, I'm a cis straight guy. And if you look at how friendship is supposed to exist in these sort of in the popular consciousness of that, like it's almost like we don't like each other. You see guys hug and they're trying to hurt each other. I, I yeah. like the idea that you can blend um, friendship and romance and have different ways of being with someone. Yeah, I think it's just um, I don't know. Maybe it's the the internet that kind of has started blurring these. Well, not blurring, but blending these different relationship formats, like, I don't know, it's just, it's very interesting and I would be keen to read more things that kind of explore that because it's, I don't know, it's very cool, it's exciting, it's not new, but I guess the conversations perhaps are a little newer. And is that something, I mean, I, I, I know for myself reading your books, I find that in in some ways, you tread familiar ground. Highway Bodies was a zombie novel, and zombies are very familiar. But in other ways, you are also breaking ground and walking in space that is not uh, not incredibly well trodden. How do you how do you feel as a writer exploring, say, some of these ideas where you're melding genre and ideas around friendship and 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 writing queer characters? I feel pretty privileged. <laughs> um, like when I was growing up, there weren't a lot of queer characters at all in fiction. And now there are so many that I can't read them all. And I guess it's quite, it's an exciting time. Like it's a big growth that's happening in YA. And I think even with like uh, friendship stories, that's really kind of coming into power in YA at the moment, which is really cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's exciting and I feel really privileged and like a bit scared <laughs> because the some of it is quite new to me and readers, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm having the best time, really. <laughs> uh, well, let's think then a little bit about this sort of coming into power and and recognition because the central tension of the novel is the reappearance in the forest of the witch who cursed Babs when when Babs was young. And since she was a child, Babs has always slipped in and out of people's consciousness and she can't control this. It's left her lonely and only living, sort of half living her life. And I wondered about how this theme of visibility uh, relates to Iris, uh, to Babs and their new friend, The Boy's Journey, to become who they are and, and be recognised in this very gender binary society. You just mentioned there about how it, it can be exciting but also 
a, a little bit scary as you're breaking ground as a writer to writing about this? Hmm. I think I'm not quite sure what I was doing with Babs's Curse <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's kind of uh, invisibility can feel very familiar as a queer person, I think. Um, I guess because I'm non-binary and a lot of my day, if I leave the house, is me, um, people not seeing me for who I am. And it's kind of, I kind of wanted to get across that feeling, but then also like when you are invisible, that kind of gives you a, um, like a power or an advantage or I guess some way to control how people see you. Mm. And it can kind of give you an agency, I think. And that is kind of where that narrative was going. Like, um, I guess it's spoilers, but uh, Babs deals with her curse in interesting ways. <laughs> um, yeah. I noticed also you approached why Babs felt the the way she did about invisibility versus visibility, and you discussed... Amongst the three, so amongst Babs, Iris, and the boy, uh, their relationship to um, their chosen pronouns, how they feel when uh, people misgender them using pronouns. And I would imagine in, in Babs' story, the invisibility, whilst it, it may not feel nice to be seen, also protects you from some of those aggressions that people are able to put on, sometimes unconsciously, through language. Yeah, exactly. Like... There are times when I wish I <laughs> I was like literally invisible because it um, attention can be so um, it can feel violating I think mm. when you just you just want to go about your day and then something happens and people are looking at you in a way that you don't like um, yeah so I guess I don't know I think invisibility is not a bad thing necessarily but you know it'd be it, it would be nice if you could um control when that happened yeah oh. and i mean in the in the fantasy realm invisibility has such such a history uh which we might we might not deep dive because we could be gone for days talking <laughs> talking about that uh, just following on from that though, i was really particularly taken by there's a chapter entitled the story of babs and the heavy day and you take us through some of the impacts that the action of the story is is having on Babs's mental health. This chapter really struck me, partly because you so rarely see a fantasy protagonist stop and check in on their mental health, but also for your, your depictions of the process and the support that's necessary for young people to access mental health services and actually, you know, be able to take care of their mental health. Can you talk a little bit about this chapter in the book? Yeah, uh, well, Euphoria Kids, I wrote it basically because I was very depressed <laughs> and I wanted something that um, that was like filled with all my favourite things. So I was writing it and during the editing process, I had to add in a couple of chapters and I was having a pretty terrible day and then I thought um, I should write about that and that chapter, the rest of the book is in first person but... The chapter with that's dealing with Babs's mental health is in third person. So, and for me, that was that's how my depression feels. Mm. Like I don't feel quite present, I guess. And I think 
For a lot of the time when books are written with characters that have mental health issues, it's like an issues book, like that is the focus of the book. And I think those books are necessary, but I think it's also important to discuss mental health issues outside of that. Um, Yeah, and I guess like for me it's kind of a way to like heal my own business <laughs> um, but also to let kids know that like you can have really wonderful friends and a really nice life and you, you're still depressed and that's that's just a thing that happens thank you so much for talking about the way the way you had actually changed um to the third person in that chapter because it was it was so interesting i think one of the reasons that chapter jumped out at me is because you had changed voice and i really i really took note about what was happening in that chapter and it it was quite affecting, and I also liked the way you... It, it felt like you were trying to skirt a line between the emotional action of of the the chapter, but also just the mechanics. And I, I, I liked really simple things like the idea that you have to go to the doctor, that there will be questions that may really wrench to answer, that the doctor will write a mental health care plan, that you will, um, that you, will you know, need to make decisions about... Uh, the next step um, was that was that important to you that you deal with with sort of both the emotional and the I guess the mechanical side of, of accessing care I think so because they're both important <laughs> and necessary Absolutely. I think uh, or necessary maybe not for everyone but for me and like when you are in that state the mechanics of like going to the doctor and then asking you questions and you just don't want to do any of it. Hmm. Or like, it's not that you don't want to, but it's just that it feels impossible and so draining. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, yeah. Because I like, I like the fantasy and the magic and stuff, but then it's also, you know, like um, when they make each other tea or when they eat food together, like that kind of just mechanics of going about a day that I like to write about as well. I think that's kind of all my all my things coming together. I hadn't thought of, I hadn't thought about that juxtaposition, but you do also really beautifully ruminate on the making of tea and the ritual of <laughs> making tea, which which I absolutely love. Which is straight. I'm not a tea drinker. I'm a coffee drinker, but I absolutely love every morning when I get up and make my partner tea, and it's just this beautiful ritual. And some, focusing on those moments really is so important sometimes. Yeah, I think the like for me, like making someone tea is a way of showing love, mm. um, or like feeding someone. And I think those moments for me ground me in, I guess, the physicality of the book. Like, because mm. I can talk about magic and fairies and stuff, but just the everyday, um, everyday experiences that kind of everyone has. Um, I, I really like writing those. <laughs> <laughs> And now everyone knows, uh, if you are having Alison round, please have some chamomile with a slice of lemon and some honey <laughs> yeah. and some honey ready. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> off topic. Um, <laughs> magic. Magic is so central to Euphoria Kids. And, and you frequently have Iris and Babs discussing whether people will understand the reality of this power. And I haven't gone too much into to Iris, but Iris, Iris was born from a seed. She is sort of very much a plant. 
uh, and Babs has fire inside her. Um, and, and they're discussing whether people will understand that, that this is a reality. It's not, they're not just speaking metaphorically. Magic and its illusions, though, and its vocabulary are frequently invoked in our society metaphorically why why did you why was it important to emphasize that there is a distinction between the reality and the metaphor of this magic i'm not sure (laughs) (laughs) um i think i always like fiction that kind of um not contradicts itself but two things can be real at the same time Mm. um so like iris and babs are human but like Iris is made of plants, that is made of fire. And I don't know exactly what I was trying to do. I guess I like exploring things where, yeah, where two things that shouldn't be real in the same universe are both real. Like, I don't know, it just adds a kind of, I don't know, like another dimension to the, to the, the story. It felt to me, or what I got out of it was, was this real fear that we we can have as people when we when we talk earnestly about things that are important to us that people might dismiss them if they're outside a kind of a typical narrative and they might just believe it's, you know, it's it's something uh, just about you and not something that's relevant in the world. It's not real. It's just m- maybe not a metaphor, but something something that's personal and not general. Yeah, because I think when you are sincere about like what you believe and what you what you are, um, you kind of open yourself up to hurt. And I guess like when you tell someone something that you think could be perceived as silly or uh, false, it's really terrifying. And I think it's a sign of trust when you share that with someone. So I I, I like that they they share it with each other. And coming back to what we were saying about this sort of binary of friendship versus romantic love, having that trust, it feels like for some people that's that's something that they reserve for one person, for the person that they are in love with. And and being able to extend that to friendships is is so very important for the way you the way you support and are supported by other people, I think. Yeah, exactly. Because like I guess um relying on one romantic partner to kind of bear that load for you is it can be too much. Mm. And I think and the more you spread it around, like the more the more love there is in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. And on that, actually, well, that's a great segue because the book is called Euphoria Kids and, and there is this really touching scene between Iris and the boy as they visit a doctor. And Iris, after the visit, tells the boy about gender euphoria about having good feelings about gender identity and it being the opposite of gender dysphoria. Can you talk a little bit? I wasn't... I, I, I had to look it up outside of your reference in the book to learn a little bit more, but can you talk a little bit about the concept of gender euphoria and why it is important? Yeah, uh, well, I was... I started a PhD. I dropped out, but... <laughs> um, it was focused on trans people and... Um, I guess kind of the opposite of the popular perception where, you know, we're born in the wrong body and we're, we're defined as a lack, mm. a lack of something. And that is, that was really damaging to me growing up. And I'm sure lots of people can relate to that. And I, 
the thing that I learned first about being trans really is gender dysphoria and which is um, for people who don't know it's like a an uncomfortable feeling about the way you present or your body or um, how people perceive you and I guess like that's a terrible first thing to learn <laughs> mm. I think like it's so awful to experience but Gender euphoria is like the opposite where you um, people recognize you and you feel comfortable in your own body. And I think to because the idea of gender dysphoria is so familiar to so many people, but um, I've had quite a few people tell me that me talking about gender euphoria is the first time they have ever heard it. And um, I don't know, like I just think it's, it's so important to celebrate being trans and like to let people know that it's okay to feel comfortable being who you are because a lot of trans narratives aren't written by trans people. And I think, I don't know, I just kind of want to get the word out there that like <laughs> it's good, being trans is good. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's it really. Yeah, as you were talking there, I was sort of thinking also about like the 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 term gender dysphoria, I mean, is it's beyond just a term though. It's been codified uh, as a diagnosis in the DSM, mm. and then you talked about trans narratives and popular trans narratives that have. When I say popular, I mean throughout popular culture. There's there's a weight really, isn't there, of of narratives that have not been written by trans people that have created, uh, if if not st- like if not caricatures, at least stereotypes. Um, that that must that must feel very heavy um, sometimes to to sort of see this this long history where where actual trans people being able to write their own narratives have have been invisible. Yeah, it's it's very frustrating and it's really sad. <laughs> um, and like even this year, last year, there are books that are written by cis people that are incredibly calming. And I think, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's very sad, I think. And I think, again, with, like, the internet and being, everything being more accessible, um, well, I guess knowledge being more accessible, it is getting easier for trans people to uh, speak and have people listen. Um, yeah. One thing... I might just, I, I will say I am speaking with Alison Evans and you are on Final Draft. The book we are discussing is Euphoria Kids. It is Alison's third novel and I've enjoyed each year reading your, your new novel at the beginning of the year, Alison. But one thing that struck me about Euphoria Kids, um, it has this really tight cast of characters, which is not not unfamiliar from your books. You write, you know, fantastic tight casts of characters. But with Iris, Babs and the boy, their parents are a few key allies. I was struck that each of the characters who has sort of a speaking role, they're overwhelmingly supportive, reflective and affirming in in their interactions, particularly with the protagonists. And it was really lovely. Even times when there might have been moments of tension people were very just wonderful in the way they dealt with things 
<laughs> it was so like it was so nice. Sometimes you don't realize you need a book like that until you're reading it. Was this was this something that was really important to you in in writing Euphoria Kids? Yeah, I think like I didn't know I needed to write that book until I wrote it. <laughs> um, because I think uh, I guess it, there can be a tradition to kind of sideline parent characters and teachers. Mm. Um, but uh, to me, growing up, like they were very important to me. Like they still are. Um, and I like the the. Not every parent is going to accept their trans child, um, but there are heaps in fiction that do. And I think um, to portray loving parents um, in the book, like it just shows kids that like it can be okay. You're not going to, um, I don't know, like you don't have to expect that they're going to, hate you I mean they might <laughs> they often do but they don't always and I guess even if even if someone's parents are awful they can kind of read uh, a nice family which can just be an escape even it felt so wonderful because it it, it seems constantly I I don't think a day goes by where I'm not reminded that we live in such an adversarial society. And to see characters in Euphoria Kids have moments where something happens, something happens that might be might be triggering or, or difficult, and have them able to talk to the other person and have the other person say, I hadn't thought about it like that, or, or that might have come from my ignorance, and I'm, I'm sorry, can you talk to me about that? Instead of just automatically assuming that, that a moment causes a rift between two people and now suddenly we're adversaries and we live in a world where we're against each other that like that that just floored me like that was that I, I could read a book like this every day because I, I we need that reminder every day <laughs> yeah I think it just felt a bit like writing a bit of hope really <laughs> um yeah it was just yeah I guess that's why I wrote it because it, it, it's a hopeful book I think mm. yeah. it's, a, it's a wonderful book and and and, and once again Although, Alison, you are an adult, you have written three beautiful teen characters. And once again, it's the children reminding us how to be good adults. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, when it, whenever I meet teens at, like, writers' festivals or school visits, like, they do remind me of that. Like, um, yeah. I don't know. They're just, they're a hopeful bunch, which is quite, it's, I feel very um, privileged to be able to write for them. Very humbling. And and on that, while there is just this incredibly rich Australian YA community, and if you if you want to find out more, dear listener, just just search hashtag LoveOzYA in you know wherever you want to search for things. You probably shout it in the street, and you'll find someone answering you. <laughs> um, this is this is so much book. I want to recommend this book to just everyone to read. It is Euphoria Kids. It is by Alison Evans, and they are joining me on Final Draft. Alison, thank you. Thank you so much. I, I love this chat. Um, you know, ho hopefully, uh, you know, it doesn't always have to be a year in between, but I am so much looking forward to the next book. <laughs> thank you so much. It's always really nice chatting with you. That's it for this great conversation with Alison Evans. Alison's latest novel is Euphoria Kids, and it's out now through Echo Publishing. 
Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at two SER's Broadway studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Now, there are two new podcast episodes dropping this week, and if you want to make sure you get them both and every future episode keep up and keep up with the latest in books, writing, and literary culture, I would suggest subscribing to the Great Conversations podcast. Just click subscribe, whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. You can also give us a rating. Uh, oh, look, if you don't want to give us a rating, even just word of mouth, just tell a friend who loves books about the show. It helps us reach more people, and it means you've got more people to share books with. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Until then, I wish you happy reading.